Good afternoon, everyone. It is a slightly cooler Wednesday afternoon, and we finally started getting our summer rains here in Johannesburg, so the temperatures are a lot more bearable. Um, it's not our usual time for Maddie and I to do our podcast, but this is the only time we could manage, so here we are. And welcome to our final, for now, episode of Speech for the Soul. I'm Taya, and this is... Maddie, and we are so excited to have you back. In this episode, we will be discussing the different intervention techniques and considerations for both apraxia of speech and dysarthria. Taya will begin with discussing the intervention necessary for apraxia, and thereafter, I will delve into the intervention for dysarthria. In this episode, we've tried to target not only speech language pathologists, but also caregivers. So some of the strategies that I'll be giving are more generalized strategies and are not necessarily academically backed, but just from personal experience and also just for the individual with the motor speech disorder. Some things that you can do to make your speech a lot more intelligible and reduce anxieties associated with these motor speech disorders. So firstly, I'm going to be looking at an article in the Asher Leader, volume 16, which is a 2011 edition. And this is an article called Evidence Base for Apraxia of Speech Treatment. So as we know, apraxia of speech is to do with the linking up and the um, coordination of our brain to our articulators for coordinated speech. So um, they say that there are four types of treatment for apraxia of speech, and these include articulatory kinematic treatments, rate or rhythm control treatments, intersystemic facilitation or reorganization treatments, and then finally AAC approaches. It's also important to note that in this report, they concluded that the existing evidence base that was available for apraxia of speech treatment um, indicated that individuals can benefit greatly from the treatment, even when the apraxia of speech is considered chronic. Please mind the hardy dars. Welcome to South Africa. Okay, so firstly, I'm looking at articulatory kinematic treatments, and there's a lot of research available on this specific treatment process, and it does seem to yield the positive results. And this involves motoric practice, which is a primary component of most articulatory kinematic treatment investigations. So this is done by repeatedly practicing the activity or the articulation you require to with limited verbal feedback and has been shown to result in improved articulation with persons with cr chronic apraxia of speech and aphasia without the use of any other treatment. We then have modeling repetition, which is also a component of articulatory kinematic treatment. And this involves a variation which is called integral stimulation, where the patient is instructed to watch the therapist, listen to the therapist, and then say the response with the therapist. And this aims to bring conscious awareness to the look and the sound of the target movement in conjunction with the simultaneous practice. We then have articulatory cueing, which is also frequently incorporated into the treatment. And this technique increases awareness and actualization of articulatory postures and does so in the form of phonetic placement. So this is where you cue and you use description of what, which is which articulators, where, 
you positioning the articulators and how sounds are made using descriptions from verbal explanations accompanied by visual modeling, drawings and or physical cueings by the cl clinician of the oral facial musculature. Now I'm going to be looking at rates or rhythm control treatment and this includes metronomic pacing and metrical pacing which manipulates the rate or rhythm to improve speech production and reduce the symptoms of apraxia of speech. So in metronomic pacing the speaker will produce speech at a rate of one syllable or movement per the beat of a metronome. So this is typically at a significantly slower rate of speech than the speaker's habitual rate of speech. This can be done using um, participation from the clinician, so modeling, or it can be with very little assistance from the cl clinician where they gradually fade out and can also involve techniques like hand tapping where the speaker will tap along to the beat of a metronome. Then metrical pacing is quite similar to metronomic pacing, but the natural rhythm or prosody of the target utterance is maintained. So it involves computer-generated pacing tones for each, each utterance that maintains the natural rhythm of the utterance regardless of the rate of production. And this also includes um, activities like hand tapping, choral speaking, or varying levels of clinician participation. Then I'm looking at the website tactustherapy.com and this gives us a more understandable and light-hearted way to um, treat, in inverted commas, apraxia of speech. So this is for the individual with apraxia of speech, some advice, as well as for the caregivers how to assist a person with apraxia of speech. You are the individual with apraxia of speech. Obviously, in combination with speech-language therapy, you can see a great improvement, but here are some tips. So firstly, speak slowly and think about what you want to say before you say it. Break long words and phrases into shorter chunks. Use facial expressions and gestures to help clarify your message and use things like pointing if you need to, drawing pictures, or... Um, if you're having trouble saying something, try saying it another way by rephrasing. You can use singing, so melody can make it easier to articulate your words clearly. And then, again, just stay calm. And if, you have, if you're having trouble with getting your words out, it's okay to give up and then come back to it later. And just bear in mind that if you are tired or feeling emotional, you are likely to yield, not yield as good of a result as if you are fresh and awake in the morning. So save your important conversations for when you're feeling energetic and up for it. Then if you are a family member or a spouse or a caregiver of somebody with apraxia of speech, it's important to be patient and give them lots of time to communicate. You need to establish the topic between the two of you so that both individuals know what you're talking about. You need to ask yes or no questions to make sure that you understand what you've heard or you can ask questions that include two to three choices. And then if you don't understand something that the individual has said, repeat the part that you have understood and then ask them to confirm that your understanding is correct. And then move on to focusing on the parts of the message that are still unclear. And don't try and pretend that you're understanding what the person is trying to say. I found a really lovely site that looks at adult speech therapy and ways in which you can assess, treat and document progress. So specifically for dysarthria, 
um, we like to include functional materials and step-by-step instructions that you can use during treatment. When treating dysarthria, it's really, really important to focus on the underlying impairment. So what exactly is causing the individual's difficulties when it comes to their production of speech? So it's something that you can ask yourself as a professional is, um, what signs and symptoms am I seeing in my patient? Would speech therapy improve their ability to communicate more effectively, efficiently or naturally or not? What subsystems can treatment focus on to help them communicate their best? Should I refer them to an ENT or a voice specialist? And of course, it's really, really important to ask the client in front of you, what would you like to work on? What is troubling you? Because it's all about the client and their difficulties. As the quote says, clinician-led and client-centered. It's also really important to encourage daily homework and encourage those within the person's environment, so their caregivers, to follow through with listener strategies, including reminding the patient to use their strategies. So it's really, really important after your session that the individual goes home or returns back to the ward or wherever they may find themselves and practice what has been worked on. Because one small session with you is very unlikely to generalize if it's not being done every day with a lot of repetition. And as always, the ultimate goal of therapy and specifically dysarthria therapy is to improve the patient's quality of life. We then get into the specifics of dysarthria exercises. So let's start with articulation. So as always with normal articulation errors that you would work with, you need to work in a hierarchical structure. You can't just go straight to a conversation with the individual. You need to start with the single sound and move up from there. So we start with the sound in isolation. We then do it in random syllables, then into words, then longer and more complex words. Then we'll do minimal pairs, then into phrases, sentences, and then into conversations. And a fun bonus to do is using tongue twisters. For example, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. During articulation treatment, you need to provide articulatory placement cues, biofeedback. So for example, using a mirror or a camera in selfie mode, modeling, and lots of words of encouragement. For example, great effort. You're almost there. Excellent work. Let's keep it up. Good job. We also have to focus on non-speech oral motor exercises. And of course, before using this with a patient, you have to read the literature and make your own evidence-based decision. There's currently very little evidence to support or refute whether non-speech oral motor exercises improve articulation. So if this is something you would like to do, you need to take the initiative and find more information and a way that you can back the use of these treatment styles. We then have to focus on intelligibility, which is basically someone, so the listener, listening to the speaker and understanding what they're saying. Ways in which you can help your listener is to signal the start. So, for example, whatever you're about to talk about, you identify what the topic is. You're going to make eye contact with them. You may want to write things down. You may want to raise your hand. You just want to make it very clear to them that I'm going to start speaking and I need you to listen. You're then going to name the topic. So you're going to say it in two to three words. So for example, if you're speaking about going to the doctor, you'll say going to the doctor. It's also very important to keep it simple. You want to use easier words 
and simple sentence structures. Using gestures can also be very useful, such as pointing, shrugging, shaking your head, facial expressions, and hand gestures. And then, of course, you need to signal the end. So here, you can raise your hand, you can let them know that you're done, you can write down that you're done, um, you can hold out your palm to the listener and signal that you're finished. And of course, using a pen and paper on alphabet board would also be a nice idea. We will discuss AAC a little bit later in this podcast, which can also be used. Speech strategies that an SLP should teach and use and encourage the use of is talking big, so over articulation, talking loudly, so increasing your volume, and talking short, so taking breaths more often and insert pauses where necessary. If you want to work on reading, which is something that should be looked at if your client enjoys reading, you want to work on it in a hierarchical structure as well. So phrases, sentences, and then paragraphs, and then the entire page. If your client has a problem with phonation, you then want to work on these difficulties. And this, the signs or the symptoms could include speaking only in short phrases, abnormal vocal quality, speaking very loudly, abnormal pitch and pitch breaks, and a decreased ability to phonate. And very often, um, SLPs would prefer to refer a client to someone who specializes in voice for voice treatments. So if your client has a problem with phonation, if you don't feel comfortable intervening and helping the client with this, you must obviously make the necessary referral to someone who does work with this population. It may also be necessary for a personal amplifier to be used, and this would increase the loudness of a patient's voice in a noisy setting, such as at a restaurant or in a shopping center. This will help those to understand them better, while also helping the patient to avoid yelling and feeling fatigued and embarrassed. Something that is also really nice to use for both apraxia and dysarthria is the use of AAC, so alternative and augmentative communication. And you would obviously assess for if there's a need for this and then take into account the person's background, their financial status and what they have access to when determining if you're going to use a high-tech, low-tech or no-tech AAC device. Something else that is often necessary is to make environmental modifications, so changes within the individual's environment. So, for example, suggesting that they use better lighting rooms, so for example, going into a room and using a brighter light or using natural light so that the listener can see the movement of the individual's mouth, avoiding visual distractions, using a quieter environment, ensuring that they're face-to-face and close enough for understanding, to use a communication board, as Taya just mentioned, or using a notepad and a pencil for any clarification, and using video conferencing, such as Zoom and FaceTime, which we're all very familiar with as a result of COVID. And yeah, so the video conferencing can be used instead of phone calls, because then it will add that component of the listener being able to see the movements of the mouth of the speaker. As a concluding thought, I'd just like to once again emphasize the importance of including the family and the caregivers, um, as it's really, really important to ensure that they also understand what techniques you're implementing. And it's really good if they can practice the techniques at home in order to get a really good carryover and yield the best possible result. And of course, to end off, we have our joke and it goes as follows. Why is a medical SLP always so calm? 
because they have lots of patience. Thank you so much. And we will see you again. Comment and make any recommendations down below. Thank you and keep well.